are you listening to Discovery Debrief? And uh, so did I. It's Jason Isaacs, who was, at some point, some version of Captain Lorca. Right now, I'm just a fan. Ladies and gentlemen and other fellow humans, welcome back to Discovery Debrief, a podcast setting a course to discuss the future of the final frontier in Star Trek Strange New Worlds, Lower Decks, Prodigy, and more. I'm co-host Chris Clow, and I'm joined by today's panel of Star Trek franchise explorers, Tyler Monaghan. Ahoy, matey. (laughs) And the unbreakable and the irresistible Cicero Holmes. How do you fire gently? <laughs> Excellent. If there's anybody who knows Cicero, it's you. <laughs> well, uh, so we are running with a little bit of a skeleton crew this evening. Um, unfortunately, Rachel is indisposed, so she can't join us, and uh, and Zachy's not with us either. But the episode that we're assembled to talk about is certainly one of the more interesting ones of the season. I think it's likely fair to characterize it as maybe just another solid outing for the show. But then at the very end, it decided to throw a massive curveball at the audience that most people likely didn't see coming. Um, but there were actually quite a few curveballs in this episode. I mean, maybe there were some that were a little easier to see in comparison to others. And we'll talk about that, I'm sure. But either way, this should be a fun one to unpack. Um, but before we jump in, Let's check in with the panelists. Ty, this is your TOS support group. So I have to ask if there have been any additional episodes that have gone under your belt since the last time we got together. Uh, I'm going to start needing, uh, need to start getting <laughs> check-in texts or, or something like that to uh, <laughs> hold me accountable. Uh, no, I did, I did a little traveling and yeah, I have not been able to uh, watch any more episodes of the original series yet, but stay tuned. That's okay. Where'd you go? Uh, Toronto. Visit some friends. Oh, right. Great. Yeah, that's right. It, it's quite a drive from there, isn't it? Like three, four hours, something like that? Oh, it's like eight and a half. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. Nine okay. hours. Yeah, that's a lot longer than what I said. Okay. Right. Well, I'm right. glad you had a good time. Uh, you know, cars yeah. today. Yeah. They just drive and, themselves. And all the all the latinum it costs to fuel to power his vehicle. Yeah. Uh, yes. yeah. We we have not overcome the uh the the limitations of uh of supply side economics as no. of yet. Uh you know, we'll see what happens. Um but Cicero, my friend, what have you been up to? Uh, you know, living life, uh, and, and enjoying it. Um, it, just engaging with the franchise as, uh, as a fan of this wonderful new series, Strange New Worlds, uh, but also, uh, engaging with a different franchise, uh, that of similar nature. And that is, um, Hulu's The Orville, right. uh, which I will not compare to, uh, TNG to, to not upset, uh, Penny Johnson Jarrell, 
um, <laughs> who who uh, apparently has come out and said that it it annoys her when the comparisons are made because they are separate shows. They they definitely are very much separate shows, but the it is uh, in in terms of the stories that it tells and the way that. Um, these stories are constructed um, it, it, it extremely complementary and um, reverential, referential mm-hmm. um, or reverential to uh, the if if that's a word um, in, in uh, to the next generation um, yes. yeah it is it is it's a damn good show uh, if you guys have a Hulu subscription, and you probably do, um, <laughs> go ahead and uh, and you like uh, Star Trek like stories, and you probably do if you're listening to my voice right now. I I very 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 much highly recommend uh, checking out the Orville. Sure, you should well, see if they'll send you one of those like uh, Hulu branded jackets and like a duffel bag full of cash, like in in those Hulu commercials <laughs> about live absolutely. sports this row, because you plug Hulu and and this show, uh, you know, yeah. more effectively than any any marketing campaign ever could. So. Oh well, I'd love to audition for you, Hulu. You, it's been a while since you've had a voice of Hulu. Uh, you know, uh, shout out to Dave Fanoy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, uh, hey, I mean, if you were able to throw your name in the hat to be the voice of Hulu, I think you get the official Discovery debrief endorsement, Cicero. Oh well, well, well. Thank you very much for for what it's worth. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, it might be worth a lot. We'll see what happens. Hey, you never know. Well, and Penny Johnson Gerald too. um, Obviously, someone who knows what she's talking about. Not only because of being a principal cast member on the Orville, but she was also a very key component in the the latter half of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. So she is, is someone who is part of that extended family and, uh, and, and knows what she's talking about. So if I am ever in the same room as her, I will refrain from comparing the Orville to the next generation. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Just, just to try and stay on our good side. But um, as for me, uh, nothing really too crazy. I mean, it was Father's Day this past weekend, yes, so I'm still I getting used it. to the fact that that's something that applies to me. But I went up and saw my mom and, uh, and my nieces and had them spend time with my daughter, which was fun. But on in terms of the Star Trek front, I was very surprised to see. Uh, there was a story on, I think it was Trek Corps, at least that's where I saw it, that on Paramount Plus, they stealth dropped a 4K restoration of Star Trek First Contact in Dolby Vision. And it looks incredible. Uh, as soon as I was able to, I, I, I popped it on and um, really like the battle for Earth or the battle of Earth, the battle of Sector 001 that starts that movie off. Uh, man, HDR does that a lot of favors. And for any like longer time fans like me who jumped on to the the first time that the TNG movies were released on Blu-ray way back in 2009, uh, they over-processed the image way too much. They used what was called digital noise reduction, and it gave everybody like a waxy kind of quality sure. uh, to like the skin tones, and it looked yeah. a little bit unnatural, and it even kind of darkened it a little too much. Right. None of those problems are apparent on the new 4K 
restoration of first contact. The skin tones are way more accurate to what real people look like. And uh, energy effects, pop, and lighting seems even way more evocative of the next generation TV show than I would have thought. Um, but highly recommended if you're if if you are equipped with a 4K display that has HDR or Dolby Vision capability, and you're subscribed to Paramount Plus, give First Contact another look because it uh, it looks fantastic. And hopefully, we'll be getting some more 4K restorations in September. I've heard that movies five and six and the motion picture director's edition this september so more 4k goodness from star trek it's a little Um, too few and far between for me yeah i mean that's that's fantastic to hear man um but uh i mean who the hell does paramount plus think they are beyonce right like (laughs) like you know i mean so this is this is their service right like and the whole point is and and this is the anchor store, right? Star Trek is the anchor store yes. for this service, right? So much so that we've got this stupid teaser stinger in the be- in the beginning of every episode now uh, to make it official, a la Marvel, a la DC, a la you know Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, if you're gonna do that, right, and you're gonna release stuff on your service. For this tentpole franchise, let the people know, right? Yeah. Let the people that watch that already subscribe to the service because you've got this franchise there know so that they can f- find this information. And then also let the people that aren't subscribed to the service that that may like this show or you know may like that movie so they can subscribe to the service. Yeah, I'm going to take this opportunity to pile on to Paramount Plus and say that uh, I attempted to watch an episode, this episode um, <clears throat> with my folks <clears throat> streaming it through uh, my phone, uh, the Paramount Plus app on my phone and through the Chromecast. And we only made it like a third of the way through the episode and it just kept having to stop and buffer so many times. Uh, never during the commercials. Those always played flawlessly. But during the episode itself, uh, we just, yeah, had so many stutters that like, we, we honestly like didn't even know if we had time to make it through the episode. So, uh, that was frustrating because I think they were pretty, pretty interested, uh, in checking out the show and seemed to be enjoying the episode thus far. Um, but who knows how long it'll be till they check out another one because it just like didn't, didn't work. So, uh, it's awesome to hear that they're, uh, doing some cool things with content, but they've, they've definitely still got some work to do and some other places. Yeah. That's an interesting point because when we were watching the latest episode, um, we're on the ad free plan. So we didn't have any, uh, any interruptions on that front, but there were some strange bufferings going on, which is even more unusual because the, the connection that our TV has is about as stable as it can possibly be because it's hardwired to our router. Right. So, and we have like a, a gig down, so it's oh. not like we're, we're wanting for speed or for stability because of, of sure. a physical connection. But I was surprised that there were some, some stutterings going on and I actually had to, to pause the episode, back it up a little bit and let it progress a little bit more before it cleared out. And eventually wow. it did, but it's just weird. But when it comes to the first contact drop, like that's awesome. But yeah, I don't know why they're not screaming it to the heavens. I mean, it's uh, 
that's a big deal. Like none of right. the next generation movies have ever been seen in 4k before. And yeah, like uh, I'm pretty excited to hear this and I'm, I'm hearing it from you. And like, I've been on the Paramount plus app multiple times recently. Right. I just right. didn't, I didn't notice it, you know, which is weird. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty, it's a pretty big deal just because that movie is one of the most well-regarded in the entire series. And it's my certainly favorite, the most well-regarded next gen movie. You know, um, I think I haven't met anybody that hasn't really committed to first contact as the best TNG movie. Um, I'm sure those people are out there, but by and large, I think the perception is that that's the best one. So celebrate it. Why not? Um, it was, it was surprising that they just decided to drop it without saying anything and who knows what else they'll draw. I checked all the other movies. Um, weirdly enough. So Star Trek 2009 and 2013, are in 4K with Dolby Vision HDR. Star right. Trek Beyond is in 4K with no HDR support, and it's hmm. the more recent film. Right. And I, I don't understand. I don't. I just don't get it. But we could talk a lot about Paramount Plus tonight. I'm sure. <laughs> um, but we. Oh do. man, I, I I hope that at some point someone from Paramount Plus listens to the show. I would love, love, love. Uh, to speak with someone from the service to find out why they make the, the decisions that they do. Look, it, it's, there's nothing but love. I think from us, we just want to be uh, able course, to engage yeah. more, you know, right. like that's right. That's uh, right. It, like they're playing the content I want to watch. Right. Right. Like, in fact, I'm only on podcasts talking about content that has been playing on Paramount Plus. <laughs> that's interesting. So, yeah. So, you know, of the of the podcasts that I do where I talk about television shows, it's all on Paramount Plus. And so, you you were there from day one of CBS All Access pretty correct. much because correct. I asked because you to be on the show. On the show. Right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. Oh, you got Cicero got me hooked on Discovery by having me over to watch just the first few episodes. Uh we watched maybe the first two or three together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, oh, I got to I got to get whatever this is on. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. So, CBS yeah. All Access. Yeah. So, yeah, CBS, CBS All Access, Paramount Plus uh, and Hulu. I can be the voice of all of you guys. I have more than one voice. Um, <laughs> you can uh, I will be more than happy to audition for you. I don't care what he says in the intro. He'll always be Lorca to me. Always. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> a high quality voice too. Of course. Oh, well, thank you, sir. So, um, but we do have a very interesting episode to talk about. So with that, let's move on to our discussion about episode seven of Star Trek Strange New Worlds, The Serene Squall. So as usual, uh, we're going to break down the plot of the episode into about four talking points and the, uh, the description for the episode, again, as provided by the fine editors over at the Wikipedia page for Star Trek Strange New Worlds with a couple of edits by yours truly. So let's just begin. So right up front, the Enterprise joined by Starfleet Counselor Aspen travels to a far-flung colony under attack from space pirates in the rogue ship Serene Squall. Pike and a landing party beam over to the ship, only for its crew to board the Enterprise, 
take the Starfleet officers hostage and send the Serene Squall away. So I guess to start off, um, I'm interested in what you guys feel at this point in the episode, just about its tone, because it seems both more playful, but also like weirdly descended from, from the Gorn episode. Uh, but the, the tonally, I don't think there's a lot of consistency here, but it doesn't feel like that's bad. At least to me, it doesn't feel like it's out of place. Um, how did you feel about this episode once this setup, uh, was in motion Cicero? Yeah. You know, what's funny that when you say that I'm like replaying how I felt as I was watching the episode in my brain and you're right, right? Like, so visually it's easy to paint this like the Gorn episode, right? And say that, oh man, something nefarious is afoot. It could, it, the potential for it to be dangerous is, is very, very high, but it all felt like the Goonies to me, right? Like as, you know, as they started, it just felt like it did. It felt lighter even as they were discussing the the things that were happening and uh you know the, the fact that, the, that they were afraid when they found the debris that all the colonists may have been dead um you know like even that was like oh they might be dead oops um and you know and then it just kind of kept moving along with it but but yeah like at no point did i feel like oh no you know like people are going to die and and i think well, I think throughout the entirety of the episode, I didn't feel like anybody that I cared about was going to die. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. I'm, I mostly agree with that. I and I, I really agree with your description, Chris, that it did feel like kind of distant. Like it felt like they were going kind of back and forth because there was also this romance kind of, you know, this playful kind of flirty stuff with Spock and chapel thrown in there as well. And it, it did feel like they were going back and forth. And like, to me, yeah. Like Cicero, when you, you talked about like finding that debris and realizing like all the colonists might be dead to me, like I was totally just watching, um, doctor it's, uh, captain angel, doctor, what was her, Aspen. Um, Dr. Aspen, you know, like you're, to me, like I was totally just watching her reaction to be like, okay, how big of a deal are they going to play this as, right? Like how important is, and in retrospect, I think that's kind of cool that I was like totally looking to her, uh, you know, cause it turned out to be sort of important. Um, so, so it was kind of jarring and strange, but like, I guess I'm sort of glad that they tried it and like i guess for me it mostly you know i i just felt like sort of like okay let's see where they go with this and then they never really reconciled it and it always just kind of felt like this twisty tie of tones throughout the episode and like by the end i was like yeah that that seemed fine so so like i, I don't know it, it you know i think about like watching episodes of TNG and it's often pretty similar where at the beginning it's like, Holy crap, something really bad happened. Like a star base is missing, but like, you know, we gotta, we gotta do the mission and maybe while we do, somebody's up to some hijinks in the holodeck, you know? Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think, uh, it, yeah, I, I felt pretty fine about it, even though I did note that it, it felt disparate, you know? Sure. Yeah. 
Of course. Well, something that's a little bit underplayed in the um, in the summary as appears on Wikipedia was the fact that we also, in the early going of the episode, got to see uh, the Ankeshton Katil retreat, uh, the Vulcan Criminal Rehabilitation Center. So in prior episode, of course, in Spock Amok, we learn more about what T'Pring does for a living. Um, and uh, it seems like they're pushing forward uh, more of the, I guess, experimental quality of the Spock to Pring relationship. Like she's taking mm-hmm. an interest in human sexuality, which was comedy gold for, for Spock's reaction, as far as I'm concerned. Um, but also, too, like, I'm curious if you guys thought that maybe there was anything else afoot by learning or seeing the Enkeshton Katil retreat. Uh, and, and learning more about the Vida- the Vitash Kator, the Vulcans Without Logic, or if you were maybe a little bit more focused on um, this new dimension that seems to be taking place between Spock and T'Pring. How does that stuff coalesce for you at this point, Cicero? Well, so I, I was definitely paying attention to more of the stuff with, with Spock and T'Pring, but um, the Vash Kator, I was... I was probably confusing them with the group of Vulcans that embrace their emotions that we found. What was that? Was that in DS nine? No, no, that was enterprise and enterprise enterprise. So it's the same. Yeah. It's the same faction. Oh, okay. Um, I I think the name Vitash Couture was introduced like in the first or second season of enterprise. Okay. Um, So that's a movement that, Continues. continues okay um, i wasn't sure if the name was the same okay yeah okay it, it just it seems like i think that um rick berman and brandon braga kind of threw in the towel when it comes to using them because I, I was actually reading about this recently they basically felt like well we know because of the later episodes or in the later series that take place later in the timeline that they didn't really end up doing anything Right. So they just kind of dropped the plot line, but the fact that they still exist in some form in the 23rd century, as far as I know, is an innovation of strange new worlds. Okay. So, okay. All right. Kind of yeah. cool. Yeah. That, that is kind of, that is kind of cool. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, this, this thing with Supreme and Spock where, where she is the thing that I'm missing with, Spock and Spock specifically and, and, and this development with T'Pring is the one piece of logic is that she is, she is trying to say to him that she is studying how to be human to uh, be able to better relate to him, except that he is neither human nor Vulcan, right? Because he is both. And as a result, trying to learn some, some, you know, some aspect of humanity in its entirety doesn't really make a lot of sense because he doesn't look at it from, you know, from that perspective. So, I, you know, so I thought that was, that was, you know, my l- little bit of uh, applying a bit of Vulcan lo- logic to uh, what I thought was false there. Um but it, but it is, you know, it's still interesting to see them go back and forth and, and uh, also, you know, like weird to see Spock's reaction, also funny to see Spock's reaction. 
Um, but I'm more worried, not about to bring in Spock, interested in that part, worried about Spock and Chapel. Yeah, you know, it's funny that you bring up the idea of being something new just because like TNG fans know all too well, data was a big source of conversation in that respect, right? Like right. Captain Picard tried to uh, to uh, confirm that uh, for data that he is just as valid as a culture of one in comparison to a culture of one billion. The right. idea was Spock especially as like for, for a long time observers of that character and his entire evolution. It's like, I don't know if it's ever really been put in those terms, even though uh, like what doc quote unquote, Dr. Aspen tells him about you're something new, you know, first of all, it's an interesting perspective coming from a trans performer. I thought right. that it might've had a little bit more punch um, coming from, from a perspective like that one. But also when you think about Spock's future and how he reconciles both halves of himself, he really does become something new, but at this stage in his life, it's all binary. Does it need to be? Maybe we're starting to see the thing that he will eventually take to heart much later in his life start to germinate here. So that's a really interesting point. Ty, what do you think of the way that this is all combining for Spock and, and your favorite to Uh, yeah, I do love to I, I, I mean, she is awesome though. Right. Seriously. Like she's always just, you know, she's so calm, but like yeah. takes action though, you know, like not passive at all. But, uh, anyway, anyway, um, you know, the Vatashka tour and stuff, like it's, it's cool to learn about these people, but I don't really, uh, you know, I don't have a huge connection with like Vulcans in general. And I've probably seen more of Spock in like the, you know, the, re or the Calvin timeline or whatever you want to call them movies than, than anything else. Um, <clears throat> so, you know, it's kind of cool to learn about. It's cool that uh, painting is, is seen as a uh, very common tool to get people, uh, people's head clear in uh, the Star Trek universe, like across cultures, they seem yeah. to have recognized that that's a really valuable and useful tool, I guess. Um, which is cool. Um, <clears throat> and yeah, you know, I enjoy watching Spock's relationship and, and things like that develop, but it doesn't, you know, I'm not like my ears aren't perking up waiting to see like, Oh man, they mentioned the Fatash Couture. Like, and now I get to see them. Like, I'm just kind of like, okay, like it's all kind of filling in, uh, you know, for me, it's just filling in the two characters more of, sure. of Spock and T'Pring, um, which is, is cool, but, uh, yeah, probably not as much depth for me there as maybe there is for you guys at times. Oh, that's okay though. But I mean, I, yeah, I just yeah. know that like you, you have been pretty fascinated by the portrayal of their relationship and it certain we'll, we'll talk about it a little more. This is, yeah. Oh yeah. I'm excited to talk more about it. Yeah. yeah it, it, it goes to some interesting <laughs> places here. Um, but let's, uh, let's move along with the plot. So, Number one and Ortega stall the pirates while Spock and Aspen escape the bridge, but Aspen ultimately reveals themselves as the Serene Squall's Captain Angel and forces T'Pring to warp over for their ultimatum. T'Pring must release Angel's husband, a prisoner she is attempting to rehabilitate, or Spock dies. And I think the uh, her husband uh, is given... A different name, like Zavarius. That's right. Yeah, Zavarius yes. is the name that was given. Um, 
So this is, this is cool just because, uh, and we haven't really mentioned it yet, but it looks like at the beginning of the episode before, uh, uh, the, the captain reveals herself, uh, or themselves, I should say, please, excuse me. Um, as the captain of the serene squall, um, there's a rapport here. There's a rapport between Spock and the person we now know to be angel. Um, and she seems to have, or they seem screwing that up again. Please forgive me. They seem to have unique insight into Vulcans in general. And it is, uh, it's a little bit strange just because the insight that is shared does seem to kind of hit Spock where he lives in terms of the, uh, the wrestling that is going on um, internally uh, regarding the, the reconciliation between his human and Vulcan halves and the way that he ultimately decides to live his life. But um, Angel's perception of Vulcans takes a whole other turn when we learn that they have a husband who has, uh, they believe has been victimized by the, the Vulcan rehabilitation system to a degree. Um, I guess, uh, and I know that this kind of glosses over a lot of details in the episode, but when the turn happened, um, what was in your guys's mind? Did you, did you see it coming a mile away? Uh, was there any sense of like maybe quasi loss at the fact that this person isn't an ally anymore? How did all of that combine for you, uh, Ty? Yeah, I did have a little bit of a sense of loss. Like, you know, I just thought they were a cool character, and I was really enjoying their, um, <clears throat> like, kind of uh, weirdly being over-personal and kind of stepping over boundaries, but also then being, like, aware that they had stepped over boundaries with Spock. And, I, you know, that was just so uh, in- interesting to watch, and I could have watched a lot more of it. So, yeah, I did feel a little bit of a sense of loss um in general i'm not someone who's like usually trying to actively predict this kind of thing but i I did uh remember saying out loud at one point uh i think like as they were on the transporter pads uh getting ready to go with their awesome like body armor um and the captain is is and by the way can i just say number one is like wow you're breaking a lot of rules today huh just like leading this away team and and, like call them a boy scout and like he doesn't even respond you know what i mean and she doesn't even like i just feel like on the enterprise d that would have been like Riker would have been like sir serious like you know what i mean like (laughs) we have to talk about this like this is but on this ship it's just like now i'm going peace you know um but I, i do remember saying like are they doing all of this just on her word like you know this is a character that we just met and who like left starfleet and like seems like we're really doing a lot. Like we're going into, you know, they make it very clear. The enterprise is kind of on its own at this point. And like, it's just like, are they doing all of this on this, on the, you know, just the trust of this one person. Um, so I guess I did sort of have an inkling. Um, I, I think the tone that we talked about earlier kind of worked to like throw me off the scent. You know what I mean? Cause it was sort of like, I just couldn't, it was really hard to predict where it was going because I felt like it was hard to get like a feel for the rhythm of the episode. Um, so I wasn't shocked when it happened. Um, slightly sad, but you know, I, I don't, I don't necessarily feel like I have to be shocked for it to be a good like 
twist or turn either sure. you know um so I, I i i enjoyed it for sure um i will say i saw a little headline on like my news feed or something like that um that was like uh how star trek set up the next great villain and it was a screenshot of spock and dr aspen like peeking their heads out in the hallway dead giveaway i totally didn't get it like as i was watching the episode i still didn't get it until the turn i just thought that was a screenshot of two people that happened to be in the episode and i was like oh i can't wait to see who this big villain is yeah it's, well it also happens to be the uh the thumbnail for for the actual episode on imdb so yeah. if someone was just being lazy because when yeah, I saw that headline, be... I had unsuccess. I had watched the first third of the episode, but not the rest of it yet. So, okay. so I knew that character was there, but I didn't know the turn was going to happen. <laughs> so, sure, yeah. Well, uh, yeah. Cicero, yeah. the turn. I mean, we talked a little bit off mic about how wardrobe might have telegraphed it a little bit, but um, were you satisfied with the way that it played out? Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, I mean, you know, like again, this isn't. Uh, you know, we're not like the stakes aren't that high. Right. So I don't have to be like blown away or completely devastated by this, you know, this he apparent heel turn. Right. I, I smelled it coming very late, but again, it was also because the, the outfit, right. The, the uniform that this character was choosing to wear seemed uncharacteristically um form fitting and uh provocative provocative for, yeah, that's, yeah as for, soon as you were saying that that's the word that jumped yeah. out <laughs> yes um and uh you know for for someone who 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 was um portraying themselves to be the character that uh Dr. Aspen was portraying themselves to be uh and, and specifically saying things like I'm not a fighter but I'm in a cat suit right like <laughs> you, you know I'm in a cat suit and heels right. you're uh, like specifically so, dressed to tell someone you think they're cute as you know that you're about to kill them like that's what right, that outfit right. is yeah. for <laughs> yes exactly so um you know so that that was when when I you know I started to to poke up a Vulcan eye, eyebrow but um but yeah you know I mean it happened and and I was like, oh, okay, yeah, uh, all right, that's the thing that happened. Let's see how the rest of this plays out. And it was perfectly fine um, the way it happened. I I really enjoyed it. Excellent, great, yeah, um, yeah. I, I was pretty satisfied with how it played out too. But I think I did feel a little bit of a sense of loss, primarily because this rapport between who we thought was Aspen and Spock was established. Um, because, uh, I mean, I've called Spock uh, one of my all-time favorite characters in fiction. Uh, so I'm rooting for him to have like a support system, right? And I know that the like the timeline in which this show plays with necessitates maybe a lack of that developing now. Um, although he is developing. Um, you know, certain friendships in that respect, particularly with nurse chapel. I think she plays a pretty critical component to his support system aboard the ship right now. But of course, like the primary support system that will help to define a lot of his identity going forward, like he hasn't even met who his best friend will be yet. So right. 
you know, it's limited in terms of how far that can go. But, uh, you know, it's still kind of sad when the the character that you root for so much is is just kind of taken down a peg when especially when he doesn't deserve it. So um, but Angel as a character, too, um, there was something that I found pretty refreshing about how like mustache twirly they were as a villain, right. you know, because it seems like um, the, the clearly defined boundaries between the, the heroes and the villains can often be obfuscated in a lot of modern television. Um, and this show is no exception by necessity, I think for the most part, but it is fun to have those kinds of episodes that do call back to like 1960s, Harry mud, you know, right, where right. like they revel in what they're doing. But also too, like uh, Angel is so driven about what she wants, and um, and it's really fun to see how that played out even further, which we'll talk about mm. shortly. Um, yeah. Ooh. Speaking speaking of Harry Mud. Yeah. How great would it be to get a Harry Mud episode? Oh, it would be great. Worlds. Yeah. I mean, why not? He's around. He's around. And, right. I mean. Um, so when he when he was on the Enterprise, yeah, in TOS, was that his first time on the Enterprise? I don't think they established that uh, he had never been there before. But, I don't. But there were. But there's crew that overlaps. There's a few crew members that overlap. I don't recall anybody mentioning him as a previous enemy beforehand but there are ways to play around that like yeah i don't know maybe spock is stuck on a planet because of harry mud right. Uh, right. spock and ahura are stuck on a planet because of harry right. mud right <laughs> and it's pike and, and una and ortegas and and uh and hammer that have to deal with uh with the the shenanigans of harry mud i think he would fit very well into yes. the dynamic of this episode but hey you know what i'm going to say i'm still banging the drum for prime Lorca, right? Prime Lorca, <laughs> he can come back now. Like Discovery's gone, uh, sure, but we're still in the 23rd century. Thankfully, this show exists and is keeping one foot in the 23rd century for modern Star Trek. It would be cool to see a Prime Lorca Pike team up. Just saying, mm. I, I would I would mm. relish the chance. Wow! Wow! Uh, but I mean, that's neither here nor there. I just, yeah. I'm still banging that drum. Like I'm not doing that's it fair. as loudly as I was, but I'm still doing it. Um, well, let's move along um, with the plot. So when presented with the ultimatum um, to Pring chooses uh, to let Spock die because Spock pretends to break their engagement and passionately kisses nurse Christine chapel on the bridge in full view of to They dissolve their bond. Angel then tries to fire on to ship, but then, and we've glossed over this whole part, but we'll talk about it now. Captain Pike warps in aboard the serene squall having you. I love the way that this is written, having used his culinary skills and the threat of dealing with the Klingons to encourage a mutiny and number one locks the enterprise's controls. So there's a lot here. Let's talk first a little bit about 
uh, the what what's going on with the crew of the Serene Squall because this is where a lot of the fun of this episode comes from, right? Like Captain Pike being brutally beaten by this band of pirates, one of which is uh, or the leader of which, without uh, Angel, is a, a big Orion named Remy. Cool name for for an Orion pirate, but um. I just love how they managed to to work in how Pike is a better cook than Remy. (laughs) Like it's such a weird thing to think about, but the idea of, of setting a trap, so to speak to, uh, to create a mutiny and take advantage of the chaos. This was a lot of fun for me. Um, What did you guys think Cicero? This reminded me of, the ds9 episodes whenever they like whenever they had to deal with the ferengi um but like when o'brien for whatever reason was dealing with quark or the ferengi (laughs) or they had to you know there was some kind of shenanigans where where like there was real danger but the real danger was like behind uh, comedy right so it's like oh yeah i like yeah i'm juggling knives but each knife has like a honker on it or something like that <laughs> as i'm juggling them yeah. uh it, and and it was it was again it was it was like the goonies right like it was just an adventure it, it really it felt like buckaroo, buckaroo bonsai right it just felt like a swashbuckling romp um this this entire episode and and you know and again yeah, this was the meat right like this was the the main course of like all of the shenanigans uh to the point where they they've uh taken over the ship the the mutiny is successful and they've uh you know number one is locked out the controls and and our crew is is ready to go and and that allows uh you know that allows spock to take you know, retake control of the, uh, of the enterprise. And then you hear, you hear Pike go, uh, can you, can you get us out of here? Cause, uh, we, we kind of, we kind of didn't really actually finish the mutiny. It's kind of still <laughs> actively going on and it's just all oh, hell is breaking loose behind them. It's man, they do it. They do it. Uh, it, it, it all, it all feels like they're all just kind of trying to figure it all out at the same time including pike right and like that's okay that like i don't have it all figured out yeah which is awesome totally ty how did uh how did everything going down on the serene squall add up for you yeah i totally agree it was a lot of fun like i was waiting for the the oboe soundtrack you know what i mean like as they're up to zany shenanigans (laughs) um one thing i thought was kind of I don't know how I felt about it, but it was like um, when number one and Pike would be like, I, I don't remember the planet, but they'd be like Alpha, you know, Seti 4, and she'd be like, not Alpha, Seti 4. Isn't that the exact same dynamic that Book and Burnham have in Discovery at times? Like where they're sure. like running around doing, uh, you know, courier stuff, and they're like, oh, here's our plan. It's like from this old, old plan. I just thought that was kind of weird that they have the exact same dynamic of like, let's mention a planet where we did this zany scheme before and, and like, we're about to do this zany scheme again. Um, And like, I don't know, for me, I hate to say it because the whole episode was fun and like, you know, 
I, I didn't have any big problems with it, but to me, actually, this was like the silliest and sort of least enjoyable. Like what they were actually saying to that guard to try and convince her to mutiny was so like it was the most like Bioware RPG. Just like select the diet. Like, do you want to select the dialogue <laughs> option that's like, hey, I most feel paragon. ill, or do you want to select the one that's like right? <laughs> and, and and like she was just like, oh, I never thought about it that way before. Like, I never thought about the most obvious thing that a prisoner would say to get to turn me. But like, like you said, it just it that was kind of the tone, right? It was just this fun. Like, it wasn't this comp. It wasn't this sophisticated mystery to solve it was kind of a fun little procedural like let's do a mutiny on a pirate ship uh so so yeah it was a lot of fun and can we like yeah are we are we talking about the spock and chapel like moment then oh yeah no we totally should um oh, okay i wasn't I mean, sure if there was another question for that well it so it, it's it comes up a little bit in the next uh, the next part of the summary, but I think the next part of the summary is going to be dominated by another thing that we should talk about related <laughs> to, to the episode. But no, I mean, um, so the conversation between Spock and Chapel very tense. Seems like there is um, some unresolved uh, feelings on the part of of Nurse Chapel that we know are validated because we have the benefit of future sight to a degree. But either way, I mean, the way that this plays out between the both of them, it seems like they kind of come to an accord regarding and uh, keeping things on a certain level. At least that's the sort of intent that I got. But Ty, what are your what are your thoughts about the way that that uh, expressed itself here. Oh man. I like, so to me, just the, such a clear read of the episode was like Spock and chapel fell in love as they kissed on the bridge, which was horribly uncomfortable for like everybody involved. I think at least two out of three, maybe three out of three people between to Spock and chapel totally know this totally still think this to be the case. And are just making the decision that can't happen. So it didn't happen and let's move on. But like, to me, there was just such a loaded, like when Tapring came back into Spock's chain, like Spock needs therapy, right? He needs to be able to talk to somebody and let this out. Like he needs somebody to say, it's okay. Like to give him permission to, you know, however he acts on it is going to be complicated, but to say what you're feeling totally makes sense. You know, maybe, maybe, Maybe you plunged into needing a friend in Nurse Chapel in a, in a way that maybe you should have put a, a couple more guardrails on or something like that. But here we are now. And um, <laughs> like, yeah, I just felt like it was like it, it was he was like desperate in his eyes for someone to give him permission or to recognize the struggle that he was going through. But instead, they kept saying like, no, of course, you're Spock. You would never do this. And he's like. Yeah, I would never do that. <laughs> um, and I loved it. Like it was, it was like hard to watch, but in a really wonderful dramatic television kind of way. You know. <laughs> you know. Yes. Oh, go, yeah. Go ahead, Chris. I I just want before before you jump in, I just want to say that I think you are very insightful in that respect because I kind of bought the the stone faced response from Spock when I really shouldn't have, because he always puts that on, you know, 
was there something there on his side? I think I think you're on to something. I, was just... I love that there's ways to interpret it, though, right? Sure. Yeah. That's awesome. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I'd like to uh, introduce yet another way to interpret this. Oh, okay. Right? And, and in that maybe Spock thinks he's saying he's telling the truth when when he's hearing he's hearing chapel lie to him about how she feels and him and he's saying that's good that he himself is lying to himself about how he feels about chapel right um and and that that ty is probably right that two out of the three people in that love triangle understand exactly what's going on but the one that's on the outside totally. is Spock. yeah totally <laughs> you know we might have to when ty when you get to the naked time which you might be getting to very soon because it's pretty early in season one of tos we might have to debrief that episode because there is there's stuff there that kind of feeds into this episode uh, on the front of Spock and Chapel. I'm sorry, um, what's the episode title again? The, the Naked Time. Oh yeah, that's the that's next up. It's next All up, right, dude. Okay. Let me know when you're gonna watch it because I'll watch it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. And maybe maybe we should just do like a like an offhanded debrief either in the next episode uh, where we talk about, you know, the next episode of, of strange new worlds, or we do its own kind of discussion because we need to revisit this. Cause that is probably the most, I guess, outwardly visible tense interaction that chapel and Spock have in TOS in the entire series. So I feel like a lot of what Strange New Worlds is building is doing so on the foundation of what you see in The Naked Time. I just have to express my surprise that the episode, based on my experience with uh, TNG and uh, The Naked Now, right? Isn't that what it's called? The second episode? Uh-huh. I'm, yeah. I'm shocked to hear you say that this episode is, is anything other, based on uh, you know just reading the IMDb brief description, uh, the, is the anything other than now. ridiculous. So that's good. The Naked Now is largely seen as a rather pale imitation of the Naked Time. Um because that's what it is. I mean it's the same it's the same MacGuffin and it's pretty much the same circumstance remixed a little bit cuz that was a season 1 episode of TNG. Yeah, which so, were all yeah, which were all TOS retreads. Right, and they <laughs> they, yeah, they didn't. They didn't have their their feet underneath them yet when they were creating TNG. You know, they were oh, still sure. kind of yeah. grasping at the TOS identity. Um, but the Naked Time, uh, Nimoy's performance in that episode is stellar. I think. Uh, but maybe you'll feel differently watching it through new eyes as opposed to my highly biased ones. We'll we'll, have to- <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I'm excited. Awesome. Yeah, we will see. Um, well. Uh, the time has come for us to, to finish this out. So Angel flees. The pirates surrender. Spock reassures to Pring of his love for her. Tells Chapel their friendship is strictly platonic. Or did he? Well, to be continued. Um, but he also discloses that he thinks Angel's husband 
is operating under an alias and that the way that the husband was described, this inmate, so to speak, at the Vulcan Rehabilitation Center could really be only one person that he was warned to avoid his entire life, his half-brother, Cybok. So unfortunately, on my watch of this, I got spoiled on the fact that Cybok is name-dropped in this episode before I watched it. It didn't really do a lot to diminish the impact, though, just because Cybok, he's often been talked about as this hanging thread in Star Trek canon, especially since Discovery started, because you introduced another child of Sarek with Discovery. And Cybok's name has really been nowhere to be found, Part of that might be because he is the primary antagonist in what is largely considered to be one of the worst Star Trek films, but I don't think that's the character's fault. I don't think I like Star Trek five is my personal least favorite Star Trek film, but it's not because of Cybok. Like there are other things at play that make the movie a little bit difficult for me to watch, but Cybok is nowhere near that. Like Cybok is a thing that helps save the movie as far as I'm concerned. But this has to be one of the more surprising canonical plunges that this show is taking, I think. I think a lot of people probably feel that way. Uh, Ty, I want to go to you first, just because you haven't seen the movie yet. Um, Yeah. But just the idea of Spock's half-brother being kind of behind the veil of this episode. Uh. What comes to your mind about that? Yeah, you know, like, it's fine. Uh, like, it is interesting that, you know, it's like another half-sibling of, of Spock's. Um, I just want to say, for me, I kind of wish shows that are, you know, have these these connected universes would <clears throat> try and avoid using uh, tie-ins to, you know, already existing stuff within the universe as like a a drop at the end of an episode, like as something that is a dramatic beat in the episode, because like, you know, this episode had its own conclusion and it was fine, but it was obvious that that was supposed to be a meaningful reveal that made you go like, Oh crap at the end. And like, I know we're on discovery debrief, but like there are a ton of people out there that, um, you know, haven't watched a lot of the original series. Um, I've only seen it in bits and pieces and, and are like into Star Trek because of some other entry point. Um, and maybe, or maybe haven't seen, you know, uh, the movie that you're talking about and stuff like that. Uh, like who just aren't as familiar with like the whole deep lore. And so like that just misses as like a dramatic beat. You know what I mean? Um, like I know if I would have been able to finish the episode with my parents, we all just would have been like, huh? And they would have been like, Tyler, what are they talking about? You do a Star Trek podcast. And I would have been like, I don't know. I'm, I'm inadequate. Um, and so, uh, I, I don't, I totally don't mind there being the connection, but I almost think it's, uh, a lot more fun and a little more tasteful and it just works better for the drama when it's kind of, included as a normal part of like an existing story arc rather than trying to like create its own dramatic splash by like dropping the name. Cause like, it's just not going to do anything for some people, you know, and maybe that's okay. Maybe they know that and that's okay. And that's still worth it for them. But for me, it's just kind of like, you know, it just kind of feels like, okay, I'm not really, 
I'm not anticipating the next episode the same way that you guys maybe are. I feel kind of not like as invited to the party in a way that the show has never made me at all feel like before, you know, like before it's been like, do you know who Uhura is? Yes. Great. No. Great. You know, but now it's like, you know who Cybok is? If you do, cool. If not, that's probably a slightly confusing end of the episode for you. That felt kind of abrupt. And if you have the Paramount Plus with commercials, pretty disorienting. And you're not really <laughs> sure if that actually was the end of the episode. <laughs> right. Sure. No, I think that's a fair perspective. Um, and that is by far like the deepest cut that this show has made just because it's not a particularly well-regarded movie with most of the fan base. I think that's mm-hmm. a pretty fair characterization to make of that okay. movie. But Cybok is a character because his name has sort of been bandied about um, in the house of Sarek. Uh, it introduces a very interesting potential dynamic for them to explore here. But I don't think that diminishes at all the fact that yeah, that probably left you pretty cold. Like, you don't know who that guy is. Why Why should you care? Hopefully, you still felt satisfied with the episode's conclusion, absent the spy, the Cybok reference. Yeah, it felt like a complete episode without it, right? But, sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. And maybe that's what they were thinking, you know, that, hey, we'll just drop this in at the very end. Yeah. It would mean something, but, you know, we've told our story. This is just a slight seed for what's next. Um, but who's to say? I don't know. I'm not in the writer's room. Cicero. Yes. Um, have you and I ever had a sustained conversation about Star Trek V? No, we have not. So what do you think of that movie, first of all? Uh, it is um, – is that a straight uh, – Second star to the to the left and straight on till morning. Oh, that's six. Five that's is six. five is let's find space god. Oh yes. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, at that point, it, it like the machine. The machine was making Star Trek films for me, and it was just another one of those films. Like it is that the one where Spock goes to the prison? I mean, uh, Kirk goes to the prison. No, that's also that's, six. That's, that's six. also six. Yeah. So yeah, so that I I man, I can't remember five. Uh, I mean, so that's, maybe that's, that, maybe that's okay. Uh. Right? Like <laughs> I can't I can't remember. Like I can't remember. I don't have any. I think most people probably remember five because of the book ends on Yosemite. Um, uh, they're in front of the campfire and they're about to toast marshmallows. Uh, yeah. Kirk is climbing El Capitan and falls off. The captain falls off El Capitan. Oh um, yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Barely. Who who directed that? Was Shatner. That Shatner did that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was Shatner's. Okay. Yeah. I wonder um, how much that plays into the fact that right. I don't like that movie very much. Right. But. Um, yeah. So uh, it it wasn't very memorable, right? But I don't have. Strong. I don't have strong feelings either way about it, right? In fact, I have stronger feelings about what Ty just said about how the episode left him because it wasn't. It's not a perspective that I had, right? Because while I don't have um, strong feelings about the movie, I have lived with Cybok for you know thirty thirty years, right? So, uh, so yeah, so like that reveal definitely has weight for me but um i don't know where you are uh chris with with uh picard season two 
But one of the things, one of my demerits for the season was just how behind the gate the season was, right? Um, you know, just how much of a Picard, you know, not only a, a Jean-Luc Picard fan, but, you know, by extension, a, a, a TNG fan you had to be in order to appreciate the nuances that were happening in in uh in that season and and you know that like i kind of took the franchise to task because that's one of the things that it's it's not supposed to be right it's supposed to be inclusive right that's that's the whole thing you know that's the kind of the whole point and and to ty's point right like to have a dramatic note right like it's not a post-credit scene right it's not a thing that you waited to see it's the the tune in next week enticer that we got as the cyborg reveal and and for you know like in in nobody's world should ty feel like he's an outsider in star trek right like you know there are people that are new to the franchise but but ty has now watched he's he's now watched as many new original series of star trek as there were series of star trek just in you know just since paramount plus came out so you know there there it's it's kind of inexcusable that you set up something in that way um or or maybe inexcusable is a little hyperbolic <laughs> but but it is but it is like you know like you should be aware of the fact that you've got this legion of new fans and you don't want to necessarily alienate them and maybe not use that as a dramatic beat per se. Um, you know, I, again, post credits has, has been well established as a thing that use it as a post credits scene. There's some the idea of post credits with a, a TV show. I think that'd be a, you'd have to change the way that Paramount plus tries to, you know, they all try and guide you onto the next episode. Well, but. uh, well, so I, the, the CW, the Arrowverse shows have done this really well and it's not necessarily mm. post credits, but it's like the thing happened. And then, you know, like, you know, that the episode is over and maybe you'll get like the, the director or something like that credit. And then it'll fade, you know, f go back, fade from black and come back with something. It's like the, the encore of a live music show. Yeah. Yeah. The MCU yeah. shows do that. Yeah. MCU shows do it now. Too, they did it. So. Most oh, okay. recently yeah. But, yeah, but they're, you know, but they're kind of established part sure, of the MCU. Yeah. Yeah, right. They, you know, they, they, they yeah. kind of crafted the current. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, so, right. yeah. And I did just want to be careful to say like, I don't want to sound like, like I'm not like, Oh, you totally blew it, Star Trek! By like, you know, because because like to me, like it's like it's like the adjustment they made that would have been nice for me was like maybe somebody who didn't know the significance of that character is the one who figures out that name, you know, and so they read it kind of innocently, like oh, it turns out he had this alias of Cybok and another alias, and and we right. hear, you know, you guys hear that, and you say, right. oh, Cybok, I hear that, right. and I just think. Okay, cool. I'm okay. ready for the next episode, right? right? right. It's just, right. And, and I hate to sound that nitpicky, right? Of like, I just didn't like the tone that they said it in. But, you know, I think it is worth saying that, you know, I just don't, I, I still don't like yeah. the idea of using it as a uh, dramatic well, beat. Like right, right. Well, I mean, they, 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 they made that, that was a choice, right? They did that on purpose and they did it to evoke 
the thing that, you know, to make me and Chris and presumably, right, like they believe that they're making 100% of their fans go, oh. It was totally like, dun, 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 right. Right, right. And they're, right. And they're not. Um, and that's something that they do need to be cognizant of, right? Like that there is a a huge legion of new legitimate Star Trek fans. Well, you know, right now, I think right? I, I think it's also worth noting too, though, that the nature uh, that has created the way that we consume these shows um, has conceivably and ideally given total access to the entire catalog, right? So if someone right. watches this episode of Strange New Worlds and like Cybok, who the hell is Cybok? They search out sure. Cybok. They see that he's got one prior appearance. Right. Then they go back into Paramount Plus and they find it and they watch it, you know? That is, that's a lot of homework for a person to it do. Um, Absolutely. Now, what I, what I will say again, you know, Paramount Plus, if you guys are listening, check this out <laughs> disney plus all the pluses right disney plus that kind of that same kind of thing if you're watching an episode of tv if this was on disney plus at the end of the episode they would have had recommended recommended based on things that were happening in the episode so one of the recommended things would have been star trek 5 because it was referenced in the episode so you don't have to do the research. It's right there for you. Sure. Yeah. And that's a good point. I mean, um, I don't like the idea of people being left out in the cold, um, especially when it seems like the franchise has done a lot over the past five years or so to bring new people in. Like Star right. Trek is winning when it's building new fans. I think that's true of any franchise but it's particularly true of star trek just because as culturally ubiquitous as star trek generally is it's still kind of seen as lesser than every right. other multimedia franchise that exists oh, today sure. um, which has given me an inferiority complex as a star trek fan but um at the same time i can't deny that hearing that name provoked a hell of a reaction from me just because Cybok is a character that has had a grand total of one prior appearance. Um, he was a villain in one of the, one of the six primary films featuring the original series crew that leaves an impression. He was originally the, you know who they originally sought to play Cybok was Sean Connery. Oh um, man. And wow. he said no. So they went with wow. Lawrence Luckenbill, who wow. I think probably did better with than what Connery likely would have done with the material. He probably would have tried to be a Spaniard or something. Yeah. I mean, right. it's like <laughs> there's something that is so earnest about the way that Cybok generally comes across. And he does have, it's almost like what he does for Spock is he provides a window into what his life would be like if he leaned fully into his human inclinations. Right. right. Like that's one of the interesting things about Cybok the weirdness of the movie notwithstanding. But so, just generally speaking, Cybok is a character we haven't seen since 1989. You know, the second right. season of TNG was on the air that year. Uh, Paramount decided to put Star Trek five up against Batman that summer. Like that's how long ago this was. Mm. Um, and 
really it worked out well. <laughs> well, but, but I mean, relatively speaking, just think yeah. about how many Batman movies there have been since 1989 and sure. where the character was at. Um, but just the fact that we are getting more from Cyborg, it seems particularly uh, prudent now because one of the ideas that I wanted to bounce off of you gentlemen tonight, introducing Cyborg potentially puts the Federation at risk at this point because conceivably Cyborg was in the house that Spock lived in and that Michael Burnham lived in. Mm. And a lot of Starfleet right now is very committed to the idea of brushing Michael Burnham and discovery under the rug. And Cyborg doesn't care. It's like, where's my sister? Maybe. I don't know. I don't know if Michael's going to play into this at all. And honestly, like we haven't seen Sarek since discovery season two. Is Sarek going to come back into play here? It seems like maybe he should, even though he and Spock are supposed to really be on the outs at this point. But how does all that stuff combine? Just the idea of bringing in a new sibling of Sarek or of Spock, I should say than the house of Sarek and his potential knowledge of Michael Burnham's existence, which is problematic for the Federation right now. Well, well, is is it because did Spock and 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 Cybok interact as children? Yes. Because the what, based on what Spock was telling uh, Nurse Chapel was that he was told to stay away from him. He was told to stay away from him, but in Star Trek Five, he talks about knowing him in his youth. And right. how brilliant he is. Like he's got firsthand knowledge of how brilliant Cybok is and the fact that they both had the same father. I think the the caution that is alluded to, and I don't know because it hasn't really been established, but my guess is the caution that Spock alludes to here might have come a little later. Because Cybok, now as a member of the Vitash Kator, becomes significantly more dangerous. Right. Um, as, and we know that from seeing Star Trek five and again, sorry, Ty, I, I really like, it's hard for me to talk about Cyborg without referencing. Go for suffice, it. It, suffice it to say, Cyborg is an extremely charismatic individual. Like he's the kind of person who can create a cult and have people follow him. You know, like he's, he's extraordinarily gravitational in the way that he gets people to believe in his causes. And you do see a semblance of that in angel. I think she is really, really committed to trying to get cyborg free is mm -hmm. because she has a fierce loyalty to him. That looks, it, it seems like it borders on fanaticism with her obsessive tendencies in this episode. So I don't know, just the, the fact that, you guys, of course, have been the standard bearers of this show and keeping everybody informed about the titular show, about Discovery. So you are probably more invested than anyone else on this show in the journey of Michael Burnham herself. It seems like, and I referenced it before, the long arm of Michael Burnham could come back to Strange New Worlds in a sense through Cybok. What do you guys think of that? I do love, uh, I'll go ahead. I'll go ahead. I, I do love Michael Burnham. Uh, and like, I kind of do love 
you know, reminding us that that connection is there um, between Michael and Spock. And um, I've also always really liked Sarek in all the different places I've seen him portrayed, which is uh, quite a few different places at this point. Um, I, th- I think three, but anyway. Um, and so, you know, I totally don't mind playing with those characters, but just thinking about it, I'm not really sure how interested I am in a whole, like, oh, maybe this person could blow our cup. You know what I mean? Could, like, kind of expose sure. that Michael exists because, like, we sort of know eh, they're not really going to succeed to any serious degree, right? Like, like we, we sort of know the, the cover-up, if you want to call it that or whatever, you know, more or less does does the trick. Uh, and I just don't know if I'm particularly interested in, like, a whole, like, oh, man, are they gonna are they going to let the truth out or not? Um, I'm not sure if I feel like that's the way that it's going. And we've talked about this before on this show, right? Like how much they're going to keep playing with discovery and how much they're just going to kind of detach from that. Um, and I think this with Cybok adds a new interesting layer to that, but I, I sort of am content for them to just keep reminding us like, Hey, yeah, that, that connection exists. We're in that continuity, but this is, this is a separate story just with a couple characters in common, you know? Sure. Um, so totally I have no idea, but that's Cybok won't care either, you know. Yeah, just, right. Yeah, I, who knows what he's up to? But uh, Cicero, um, I don't know the the combination of of Michael Burnham continuing to have an influence, potentially even through a new sibling. Does that have any significance for you? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I I think that it won't have a lot of significance on. Uh, the Federation, as you you know, as you kind of hypothesize, because, uh, uh, because of exactly what Ty said, right? Like we know that it won't, right? Like whatever whatever type of plan someone tries to do just won't succeed because nobody knows. Um, but but you know what what could be nice is uh, you know assuming. <laughs> Right. Assuming I think this is a safe assumption that we will see Cybok at some point during the course of this season. Um, and uh, so I, it would be nice to see Cybok and Spock bond over the fact that Michael is in the future doing these things and that, you know, uh, a member of their family is is gone. Um, yeah. And, you know, and that might be that might be a way for them to bond. Right. And, and a way for, uh, for us, the fans to have disc, you know, have that, that link of discovery to D uh, to DS nine, to strange new worlds and, and to uh, the crew that we have of this current iteration of the enterprise. Um so you know that may be nice, but but we'll see. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. But I think I think what we won't see is is like the quest of of uh, <laughs> uh, Cybok to try and uh, spill the beans about discovery. No, yeah, and I, I mean I don't even know if that's necessarily even in the cards for him. Maybe he hated Michael. I don't know. I mean it's totally possible, but. Uh, It'd be stupid if he did, but either way, I kind of like the idea of him loving Michael a lot, mm-hmm. you know. But we'll see, we'll see what happens. Right. <laughs> either way, I think between the two curveballs with Angel and with Cybok, Cybok was the curvier of the two, but it did require 
uh, a lot more foreknowledge of the franchise, which certainly had the potential to turn a lot of people off. So I totally empathize with that perspective. Um, well, that's pretty much it for the discussion. So I guess we'll just move on to uh, some continuity notes. It's pedantic continuity time. All right. So just a few notes here. Um, interestingly, and again, from the fine editors at Memory Alpha, People probably spotted, because it was very easy to see, um, that the assistant that informed Tapring that she had a hail from the Enterprise was named Stan, uh, a co-worker. And Stan is, of course, a critical player in the TOS episode A Mock Time that depicts the disillusion of Spock and Tapring's relationship. Uh, it was a coworker all along. I don't know. There's just so it's like, <laughs> of course, it's the guy she works with. I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I I just thought that that was kind of funny in a way that I wasn't <laughs> expecting it to be. Like, that's how that's how they met. It's a guy that she works with, of course. Okay, well, sorry, Spock. <laughs> and of course, uh, the. The existence of Spock's half-brother Cybok and his rejection of logic first revealed in Star Trek V The Final Frontier. The events of that film take place 28 years after this episode in 2287. Uh, The trap that surrounds the USS Enterprise in a web of lasers resembles the web-like trap employed by the Tholians in the TOS episode The Tholian Web. And we also saw the Tholian Web return in the Enterprise Mirror Universe two-parter in a mirror darkly. Uh, we actually, I think that was the first time we actually saw what a, the body of a Tholian looks like, which is horrifying, like very crustacean and terrible. Um, and then finally, Angel's plan to capture the Enterprise, pretending to represent a starship in distress, is similar to the plan to use Kalara to lure the Enterprise to Altamid in the alternate reality film Star Trek Beyond. So kind of an interesting little bit of poetry there in terms of luring the Enterprise into a trap. But uh, yeah, Stan is the one that sticks out for me. It was a coworker all along. <laughs> oh man, how about that? So uh, it be. Yeah, that's a little too real, I think maybe. Uh, oh, so uh, so there are two uh, pedantic notes that that I want to mention. Sure. Uh, one that Ty pointed out. Uh, no, no, This episode. That's right. Or Hammer. Either. Or Hammer, right? Yeah. Right, and Hammer's been Hammer's been MIA for a while. Sure, um, but uh, but yeah, there's yeah, no Uhura. I thought they didn't the least name time. drop him when they hunkered down in engineering. Like that's his uh, right. that's his domain, right? Right, you know? right. Yeah, right. yeah. No, maybe he um, was uh, maybe he was on shore leave or something. And and yeah, and the and the other point uh, to be made was. Uh, yeah, you know, there's, um, you know, sometimes the best part of a breakup is the makeup pond far. So, <laughs> uh, so certainly uh, illusions know. to that effect. Yes, um, I'm not going to challenge you. Oh, I'm just going to say it. That that was hot. I was like, oh yeah, 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 yeah. 
Nice. All right. I was well, like, we... I was like, I think he's lying to himself, but nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, got to turn the heat down on this one. Jeez. <laughs> well, uh, thank you, gentlemen. Of course, it's always great to to talk Trek with both of you, and I'm looking forward to the next time that we get together. But that is going to do it for episode number 82 of Discovery Debrief. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if you did, please like and follow us on our social media channels. And if you'd be so kind, we'd also appreciate it if you wrote a review for the show wherever you found it. It only takes a minute and let us know you wrote one and we'll be happy to read your review on the air when it's posted. If you have any questions, you can follow the show on Twitter at DSC Debrief, where you can also find all of our individual Twitter handles. And feel free to send us questions through Twitter or by emailing us at hailingfrequencies at discoverydebrief.com. Please be sure to set your courses for this feed for future episodes, and be sure to join us next time as we discuss the next adventure of the Starship Enterprise. As always, though, until we meet again, please go boldly, my friends. (laughs) 